Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 264 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're listening in on a coaching call with Tyler Inkster about focusing your marketing strategy on your ideal clients. If today's podcast resonates with you and you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, you can get the first chapter right now for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Today's podcast is brought to you by Smith AI, Rankings.io, Backoffice Betty's, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Stephanie, I know you have something that you want to tell our listeners about, but first, I have to say congratulations and welcome, new owner of Lawyerist. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't really been able to brag about that yet, but um, Stephanie just joined as the third co-owner of Lawyerist, so I feel so lucky to have you, and so welcome and congrats. Thank you. I'm excited. Obviously, it's a company that I believe in and have believed in since the day I joined, and so I was just excited to make that official. Me too. Okay, now you can talk about what we're going to talk about. (laughs) So I was on the phone with someone yesterday, and they basically told me they did not think they were tech savvy enough to join Insider or be considered for Lab. And I thought that was a myth that we should bust right now. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, I am tech savvy, and I like talking about tech. And for a long time, I have been the the loudest voice at Lawyerist. So I, I get that people would come away with that impression. But but it is missing the point that that I've been trying to make and that we have been trying to push for years. Yeah, here's a confession. I wasn't sure if I was tech savvy enough to join Lawyerist. See, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, there's no minimum qualification. Oh, I've also, somebody's once asked me if you had to have a minimum score on the small firm scorecard in order to be eligible. Again, the answer is no. I think what's important is that you have the right frame of mind. You need to have an attitude that you recognize that your law firm is your business, that there's opportunity to improve it, that you want to be client-centered and use technology and efficiency where it makes sense for your firm. But that's pretty much, that's the minimum qualification in my mind, that you have the right frame of mind and willingness to change. I don't have a lot of patience for the attitude that like, you know, oh, I'm just bewildered by technology. It's so hard. You know, like it, if you're the kind of person who still makes jokes about how you can't get the pro- the projector to work every time you give a presentation, like, come on, it's 2020, like buck up. I don't have patience for that because like being competitive in business requires you to be willing to be good at technology and being good at technology just means being open to it, not you don't have to be able to code. I, I don't, I, that is not a thing. But you have to recognize that technology is an important aspect of having a competitive business. And so you need to be willing to learn what you need to learn. It's, I think what you said is exactly right. You need to be open. If you've got your head in the sand about it, um, and if you're proud of your, you know, being a Luddite and not knowing about technology, then you've got an attitude that needs to be adjusted. And, and maybe we can help you with that. But you don't have to be a technology whiz to join lab or, or insider or or to associate with us at all. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think the other 
in this maybe as as part of having an open mind is is being coachable because I tell folks all the time, like, if you're going to work with me, my job is to throw stuff at you and push you and get you to at least explore there's other possibilities. And sometimes in the past where that hasn't worked was when the person has just told me, well, I've tried everything. Nothing works. Nothing works. Nothing works. You know, and it get, it gets frustrating, I think, for both parties because it's like, well, then what what are we doing? If nothing, if you've tried everything and nothing is working, right. I, maybe I can't help you either. I, you know, <laughs> but if you're willing, if you're willing to at least explore possibilities and hear what other people are doing and and take a hard look at yourself when truly nothing is working it's like well there's one constant here in the equation so if you're willing to at least explore that maybe it's your mindset or something that you're doing and that's the key to change then there's something we can work with there i think i've mentioned this before but my attitude about what what i'm trying to promote in the world and i think i think the attitude that we are hoping is you know take the problem solving mindset that you developed in law school and as a lawyer and apply it to your business, right? Like technology is a tool that you need to learn to use. You know, being a a shiny things person and wanting to try every piece of software is not the right approach to technology anyway. Um, And so being somebody who, when I hear people say, I'm not tech savvy enough, I'm not good enough at technology, I also think not only are they wrong about that, but they are also have the wrong idea about what it means to be tech savvy, um, I suspect in many cases, um, because what you need to be able to do is solve problems and you need to be able to consider technology as one possible solution to your problems, um, but you don't have to be a programmer to do it. So I guess that that spreads over to the to the scorecard too, right? It's not about a minimum score. It's about an attitude and a mindset. Yeah, I tell folks all the time. I mean, a lot of people who take the small firm scorecard give themselves a failing grade. Mm-hmm. Don't be discouraged by that. It just it's it's an it's a tool just like anything else. And the whole idea is that you look at the questions, where did you score yourself lower? Where did you score yourself higher? And what can we do to make some adjustments to shift that for the future? Yeah, nobody's told you what you need to be good at before in order to be a successful law firm. <laughs> the scorecard is news to most people. Yeah. Most people get a D or an F the first time through it, and that's okay. It's more about your mindset. Are you in an are you in an improvement mindset? And if you are in a growth and improvement mindset, then you can be successful. Also, spoiler alert, a lot of people when they take it the second or third time will see their score go down because suddenly the questions have different meaning to them. So they may have scored themselves high on, on an area before, but then when they start really uncovering what it really means to excel in that area, then they reassess themselves and think, well, maybe I'm not as great as I thought I was. Don't get hung up on the score you give yourself, but look at what's behind those questions and and what that's telling you about where you can improve. I think it's an interesting thing about the scorecard or like the traction EOS assessment, whatever. A A lot of those things, like the more you understand the concepts that you're being asked about, you know, the more you understand how far you have to go to get what you would consider a 10. And so the scorecard is the kind of thing where if you've given yourself 100% on the scorecard, you probably don't understand it well enough. Like most firms will never get themselves beyond much beyond 90 because it becomes a receding um, horizon at that point, right? Like you, the more you know, the further you have to go, um, which is okay. It's that, that's not like a trick or anything. It's just in the nature of the thing that as your firm, as you make progress, you learn how much more progress you have to make. So yeah, the problems just shift and sometimes they're harder, which is why it's even more important to have a good community around you. So you're cool enough. You're good enough. Come hang with us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that my takeaway is like, if you want this, you can do this. Like that, that is probably the most important thing is like, 
if you want the kind of growth and success and improvement that we are trying to help you achieve in lab, then you are a good fit most of the time, right? Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Maddie Martin from Smith AI and then Stephanie's coaching call with Tyler Inkster. I am Maddie Martin, the head of growth and education for Smith AI. We're a virtual receptionist and web chat service serving small businesses across the U.S. and specializing in solo and small offers. Welcome back once again, Maddie. So despite all of the discussion that we have at Lawyerist, despite the legal trends report uh, that has been out for a few years now, um, despite all the urging of many people uh, around what is happening in the legal industry, where things need to be going, what lawyers need to be doing to adapt to the future, uh, a lot of law firms really aren't changing much from the status quo. What does that look like uh, out in the world? What are some of the numbers that we know are the reflection of that failure to adapt? Well, uh, well, we know there's a failure to adapt because potential clients who are reaching out by phone or email typically don't get a response. The majority are not getting a response. Mm -hmm. So your competitors are in the legal space that you're in, are not responding to potential clients. So there's really low hanging fruit here if you just respond to phone calls and emails, enable website chat get your landline hooked up with text messaging through ZipWhip or through us or whatever. Um, we know that potential clients are basing their decision to hire, two out of three base their decision to hire on the initial response of the law firm by phone or email or web chat. So that's the number one thing. And it is pretty darn easy. You don't have to add another practice area, which is way, way harder or um, move your office location or add any staff. You just want to automate or outsource basic um, answering services on these channels where clients are reaching out to you. Yeah, we know that one of the most important things is being responsive. And then right after that is the quality of the response. You know, are you actually doing something? And yet we know that uh, that a huge chunk of responses by, say, email are, call me, which, you know, do things on my terms, which just totally triggers me. Um, <laughs> but But that is where things are. And so it is so easy to stand out. And, and as you've pointed out to me, it's not even very expensive because all of the services that you can adopt to stand out are, they're not requiring the kinds of five months lock-in or five-year lock-in contracts. They're month-to-month -month services that usually start at a very reasonable rate. Well, not only are they reasonable, I mean, if you look at online calendaring, it's you know, $10, $15 a month, if not free with Calendly. If you look at receptionist services, you're paying per minute or per call in the case mm -hmm. of Smith AI. And our plans are at $70 a month. Our clients actually say that it's worth the spam blocking alone, but that's a topic for another time. <laughs> um, I mean, we know why you're not picking up the phone, right? And it's because the unknown number could be a potential client or it could be Marriott yet again, mm -hmm. telling you about some offer that you want, right? Like, please give me a break. Let someone take that on for you or let it be automated with instant spam blocking that we offer. Because we know like, not only do you not have time, but you didn't go to business school, you know, probably some lawyers would go to business school, but 92% <laughs> of attorneys report being confident in their legal skills, which I think is amazing, but only 53% report being confident in their business skills. And yet, this technology and these services are accessible to you, as you said, Sam, with no commitment, basically. I mean, month-to-month -month services at a very low cost, way less than business school, I can tell you that. And it is immediately going to impact 
your work-life balance, your satisfaction because clients are screened better before they reach you, and your positive reviews online because people have a great experience when contacting your law firm and consistently so, not just when you're able to pick up the phone. Um, But you will also find that you have a more consistent track record for growth and for being able to respond to the clients and have more control over the ones who you end up working with because you are able to respond to them consistently every time. And that allows you to really pick and choose, not the ones you're finally able to get back in touch with. To learn how you can pretty much instantly stand out from your competition, visit smith.ai. That's the website address. To learn more about Smith AI's services on phone answering, chat messaging, and more. The first 30 people will get a $150 credit towards chatbot setup if you don't want to do it yourself. Uh, If you do do it yourself, you can do that yourself for free. Uh, There's a free trial. There's no risk. Give it a shot. Stand out from your competition at smith.ai. Maddie Martin, thanks so much for being with us again. Thanks for having me, Sam. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Great, Stephanie. How are you doing? Great. So what's happening up in your neck of the woods? Well, we've just uh, finished implementing uh, some technology stuff at the firm. We've gone with uh, Net Documents for document management. And so I've been working with uh, them and a third-party consultant who's been implementing that and um, getting some training for myself and uh, my law clerk on that. So that's just wrapping up. It went really well, and uh, the implementation looks like it's going to be pretty solid going forward. Awesome. And so I guess then the next question is, what's next for your business? What's the next priority that we need to focus on? Well, I think I'd like to focus on uh, marketing. In the past, we've basically gotten business through the door just through word of mouth and referrals from, from previous clients who've been pleased with the service. But I haven't really focused on um, implementing, much less developing a, a strategy for how to market uh, our services. Okay. Well, obviously, let's keep the referrals in mind. Like, we don't need to stop doing what has been working for you in the past, but let's make sure everything you're doing is maybe a little bit more focused and strategic. Does that sound good? Sure. So, who is your ideal client? My ideal client would be uh, a small to medium sized business owner who has uh, HR needs for uh, employees. Um, who's looking uh, at their estate planning, who may need um, some assistance with purchasing or selling a business with contract review, that that type of thing. Okay. You described possibly a lot of people there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you could find the perfect ideal client who owns a business, is thinking of buying or selling the business, is struggling with HR issues, and wants to protect their personal estate as well. But that feels like a big lift to find. I guess I I need some help in sort of trying to go about identifying who my ideal client is. Maybe I'm approaching it from my practice areas rather than um, kind of trying to think of who, who the ideal client would be to to have uh, in the firm. I mean, I do, I do have a general practice, so I do a, a lot of different things and, you know, maybe as part of this process, I need to look at that as well and narrow in, specialize a little more on on a few areas rather than casting the net so wide. Yeah, I mean, maybe. um, Usually, you know, attorneys are always nervous about going narrow in their practice areas. 
usually it's easier both from an operations standpoint and certainly from a marketing standpoint. It sounds counterintuitive, but going more specific usually makes getting business easier because then you can be sort of laser focused on exactly who it is you're trying to attract. But if you want, we can set that aside for now. And and one way to approach it, which is helpful, is, okay, of the different practice areas that you currently have, is there one that you would like to focus on first and really create a marketing strategy to bring in that type of work? Yeah, I, I would probably say employment law. So I represent both employers and employees in the non-unionized context. So um, reviewing employment contracts, drafting employment contracts, um, representation uh, in wrongful dismissal claims, that sort of thing. Okay. And you're doing it from both sides, both employer and the employee side. Yes. And that's good. You sometimes see that, but it seems like most people kind of pick one or the other. Either they're going to be on the employer side or employee side, but you find you can do both? Well, I mean, on the employee side, who I'm ideally looking for is somebody with, um, you know, quite a few years of service who's in a senior position um, where the value of the wrongful dismissal claim is is higher. On the employer side, my clients are usually uh, sort of medium-sized businesses who are looking for some help in uh, implementing employment policies, uh, employment contracts, and if there's a human rights complaint or, or a wrongful dismissal, that those types of files. Yeah. So thinking about it, let's start with the employer side. Um, and you kind of started down this path, you know, what are they struggling with? What is keeping them up at night? Well, here where I'm practicing in Ontario, the law's been undergoing um, quite a bit of change uh, within the last uh, couple of years. We've had a, a change in government recently and uh, kind of a wholesale reversal of where things were going. You know, certainly providing advice to the clients as, as to those changes and keeping them abreast of of developments in the law, you know, maybe through a blog post or, or an article or something like that might be a, a way in. It's topical lately in the news. So that might be a, a way to get your foot in the door with yeah. some marketing. I would imagine, but you tell me, a lot of small businesses, you know, they're struggling with so many things, just keeping money coming in and keeping cash flow going. And I would suspect that dealing with HR policies and, and all the things that you're talking about, it kind of feels like, yeah, I know I should be doing that, but that's not really where I want to, you know, I don't have time or I don't have the money. That sounds expensive. That sounds like a luxury that the big businesses have and not something that I can really afford when I'm just trying to get my widgets in and out of the door. Is that something that you face with your ideal clients? I do. You, usually the, the the context in which I get contacted by the client is um, they get a demand letter from from a lawyer um, alleging that there's been a wrongful dismissal. So in addition to representing them on the, the, the claim at hand, I usually try to turn that into an opportunity to say, look, you really need to tighten up your employment contracts here. Um, because in most situations, um, the they don't have a written employment contract for, for the very reasons that you're, you're mentioning there. They uh, are focusing on, on running the business and they see that as, as an expense that they can't really undertake. Uh, but here in Ontario, at least, if you don't have a, a proper employment contract put in place up front, uh, the termination costs can be pretty high. 
uh, you're into common law reasonable notice and uh, it can be pretty expensive. So uh, clients usually do see the value of that. Um, you know, if they're coming to me in the context of me telling them, well, this, you know, because you don't have a contract in place, this is the range of notice that you can be looking at paying them. And most people are aware of that, or you think businesses are still learning? Businesses are still learning. My experience is that a lot of businesses are aware of the minimum entitlements under the provincial uh, employment standards legislation, but they're gobsmacked when they find out what the common law notice periods are. Yeah, I mean, you just describing it like here where I live, it's, you know, an at-will employment state, so you can fire anyone at any time with no notice and, you know, you're gone. So that sounds very different. Yeah, um, I, I actually love that. Uh, I love when I get cases where um, there's counsel in the states because they're, they're so used to, you know, so many of the jurisdictions on their at-will jurisdictions and our laws up here are totally different. And uh, yeah, it can be quite an education. Yeah. Good reminder to lawyers who think they can practice in other jurisdictions. It gets gets challenging. So there sounds like there's some opportunity there. I'm just um, still thinking about that. Okay, marketing. Um, back to our ideal client on the employer side. Where do they go for help? Um, I think a lot of them would probably go um, on the internet and, and look for forms or, or things like that. Um, not too many would go to an HR company. You know, they might give their their lawyer a call, but uh, you know, a lot of a lot of clients who call me up have gone to the Ministry of Labor's website to you know, which will tell them what the statutory requirements are, but uh, won't give them any assistance concerning common law entitlements. Got it. Okay, because these are folks who wouldn't have a necessarily have an in-house HR department. They're probably too small for that, so they're trying to kind of figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. You're basically being kind of an outside HR department for them. Yeah, for sure. The folks that you mentioned, most of your cases have been coming in through referrals. Are When we look at those referral sources, is it other lawyers, past clients? What other groups, if there are, kind of make up who's sending you business now? One of my primary referral sources would be, I have a partner. I have two partners, but one in particular does corporate law and um, has a lot of clients who would have employment law needs. And so whenever uh, an issue arises, um, with an employment law situation um, for one of his clients, he will refer them to me and um, I'll, I'll service that need for them. But secondarily, I would say that sometimes when you have a mass layoff or something like that, like for instance, a couple of years ago, I, there was an engineering firm uh, here in town that had a, a set of mass layoffs and I did about 15 or 16 reviews of severance packages for that company. And unfortunately, uh, there was about two or three waves of these things. So, you know, for those first clients that I serviced, the next wave, they referred me. And and so I got about five or six years of work out of that, um, that one situation. And that sounds, and that that's awesome. That sounds like a little bit of a unique situation when we just think about who's regularly referring you business. So would other corporate attorneys outside of your partner feel comfortable referring you business? Sometimes, you know, lawyers are, are worried about, oh, I don't want to send them work if they might take more than my the employment work. I don't think so. I, I do have a, a good relationship with another uh, lawyer who practices in employment law in the city. And, um, you know, whenever there's a conflict, he'll, he'll uh, refer the client uh, to me. So I do have relationships with other lawyers who in the practice area. Okay. But yeah, I'd have to I'm just kind of pick in my brain for how I can develop some some business outside of those kind of traditional sources. 
Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Betty's, the only virtual receptionist company exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers unlimited calls. Betty's boutique service boasts customized call handling and virtual assistant services provided by highly trained, relentlessly friendly team members ready to help grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebetty's.com lawyers to get a free one-week trial and use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month of service. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first-page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. It's an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io slash Lawyerist to get started. Lawyerist podcast listeners can get 20% off an SEO discovery audit using coupon code Lawyerist. Boost your productivity and save time typing with Text Expander. You can make your own snippets or share and manage snippets for your firm with Text Expander for Teams. You'll reduce errors and increase productivity. Text Expander can save you so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more and get your discount. So the first is obviously we don't want to forget those traditional sources because they've they worked for you in the past. A lot of times, though, we just let those relationships kind of be and <laughs> flow in the wind, if you will, right? Like we're not really being intentional about them. Um, so there's some some easy things we can do, you know, to create, it's often called TOMA, top of mind awareness, that when a case comes in, when an issue comes in, that they think of you. And so that could be... All kind, I mean, it can take whatever form you want. It could be like a quick call, you know, every couple of months on a cadence that feels right to you. Just call in to check in. How are things going? It could be email newsletters. There's lots of ways attorneys can create sort of that TOMA within their referral network. But the point is that we're doing something to intentionally engage those referral sources on some type of schedule. And obviously, if it was a really great referral source, we might want to touch them with more frequency than we do other people. So you can kind of rank your referral sources and and set up some way, some system of regularly communicating with them. So that's just an easy thing to do just to make sure we're being intentional with that group, sort of low hanging fruit. Right. We just want to take care of them because they're already sending us work. And so that's easy. Then we start thinking about, so you've mentioned a couple of things of how we might attract new potential clients into your funnel. And so, you know, in the lab materials, we have some coursework uh, that goes through what a typical marketing funnel looks like. So um, I don't know if you've had a chance to check those out yet, but we talk about how if you think about the top of the funnel it's, it's usually larger. It's usually shaped like a funnel, right? Because there's more people at the top and they sort of filter through and kind of come to the bottom and then they're ready to hire you. But when we first think about a lead or prospective client, they may be very early in that process 
And, and maybe they're just becoming aware that there's an issue or opportunity or they don't even know. Like they might read one of your articles and f- learn for the first time that there is something they needed to know, that they should have these contracts in place because the law can be quite punitive if they don't. And so then that's an instance they're learning something and then realizing they have a problem. Um, sometimes people realize they have a problem. Like you said, they get the demand letter and then they go looking for information. So it sounds like they could come at you a couple of different ways. And so we want to make sure that we're doing some things to try to capture people when they're at that top of that funnel and they're just in that awareness stage. And there's lots of different ways you can do this. Let's not go overboard and (laughs) you can get yourself down lots of rabbit holes here and start doing all the things. And, you know, if we're just getting started, it might be better to just pick a few things and do those really well. And then we can always add in more. So have you ever really experimented or tried to do anything to attract these potential clients to your site? You mentioned writing articles. Is that something you're currently doing or do you have a blog? I do have a blog. I haven't posted as much as I probably should, but what I've tried to do in the past is whenever there's been a a change in the law, I'll just write a quick um, article about it or a blog post and and throw that up there. I kind of use that for particular clients that I have in mind to contact and I'll I'll send them an email and, and say, hey, just just so that you know the law's changed and it's gonna affect you. You know, here's here's a little backgrounder on it and, and give them a point to the blog. Those are just kind of one-offs. So I, I don't what I should really probably be doing is putting together a database of email addresses for clients, you know, my my clients who have employment needs and uh, be more intentional about focusing my, my marketing efforts towards them. And it's great that you've started doing those emails. When you're talking about top of mind, it's funny because um, just last week I had uh, sent out that blast email for clients for, for whom I had uh, closed real estate transactions, just following up and and seeing if what their estate planning needs were for, for wills. And I, I got some response on, on the wills, but kind of a side benefit that I didn't expect was a lot of those clients had other legal needs that, and I hadn't heard from them in a long time. And all of a sudden my phone started ringing off the hook, not necessarily about the wills, but about a corporate need that they had or, or something. So that was kind of a, an unintended consequence. Yeah, I love that. I mean, our past clients are for sure the low hanging fruit here because they've already hired you. They've already, you know, they already got to experience what it was like to work with you. And so for sure, having some kind of cadence and communication with them is going to be super easy. And just like you said, it's like, oh, they get that email and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I've been meaning to call Tyler. Let me, you know, this was great. I was just thinking about you. So let me go ahead and call you now. You know, I I know I do that all the time. So that's great. And so to the extent we can come up with a cadence that feels good for reaching out to them and keeping them in the know, let's do that. And then the reason I sort of started going with online resources, blogs and whatnot is because One of the things you said is that you believe your ideal clients go to the internet for help. Remember I said, where do they go for help? And your first thought was, I think they probably Google it, right? They probably just go in and put in the search terms and look for for what's out there. And certainly if that's the case, then we would love for your articles and your answers to come up in those searches and give them the information they need because that's how people start building trust. And, you know, people always hire who they know, trust and respect. So that's the whole goal of marketing is you're starting to do those things that can build that relationship with clients even before they hire us. 
But real quickly, before we leave this point, I want you as part of your homework to actually do a little bit of field research and reach out. You know, now that you've got some of these clients calling you, the next time you're on the phone with someone, just ask, hey, do you have an extra five minutes? Can I pick, you know, can I pick your brain or uh, about something? Um, you know, I've been working on my marketing and I'm just kind of curious, where do you go for information or help? Or what do you do when these types of issues don't come up if you, if you don't call me? Or do you know what your colleagues are doing? Or have you talked about it? Or, you know, the more we can find out, and especially as potential clients are calling you and you're having those initial conversations with them, you know, a lot of times we ask, well, how did you hear about us? And maybe they, you know, they tell us whatever. Well, go a couple of steps further. Okay, you heard about me from this other lawyer I know, Frank. Well, before you called Frank, I'm curious, did you try to find out the answer on your own? You know, did you actually go on the internet and and look up something? If so, what? Like a lot of times they might not remember the exact search they did, but they'll give you a sense. They might be able to walk you through um, that path, especially potential clients who are just now reaching out to you and, and at the beginning of the relationship. That is going to be a wealth of information for you because we often think we know what people do. But if we can ask them and find out for sure, that could be really helpful. And that really outlines for us what our marketing plan needs to be. If we start seeing some patterns and trends and we see that the same folks, you know, they were going to the same places for information, they had the same types of questions. Well, now we know where we need to focus our efforts. And here's where things get obviously more complicated. And we have a lot of resources in lab to kind of help us as we start to navigate this because there are paid search strategies where you pay to have your results show up in somebody's search. And then there's, you know, organic or what a lot of folks will think of as SEO strategies where you're just providing great content and the Google algorithm picks that up and shows your content to folks over somebody else's content, right? So there's a couple of different paths that you can take when you start writing these articles and how you're going to position them. We just did a workshop last week on SEO strategies. I'm not sure if you've checked that out yet, or I can't remember if you I haven't. It. Was that recorded? Is that oh, yeah. in the... Okay. Yep. We record all of them so that you know you can watch it. Watching it now after you and I having this conversation, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. You know, sometimes when you're not thinking about it and out of context, um, at least for me, I even have to go back and rewatch them sometimes because they're <laughs> so valuable. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. So I think as a as a first step, writing some articles and then us, we can work on a plan on then how to promote those articles, where to position them. It can be as simple as warming up your current database by sending it out to them, posting it on social media, posting it on your website. You can do all those things and it's pretty easy. And a gr- and what I tell folks who are just getting started, take five minutes and think about the most common questions you get because you know them. You know, people are probably always calling you and they want to know about this notice period or can I do this or what happens about this. It's just information that they need. You just make that list of questions and just brain, you know, do a brain dump, put it all down on paper. And now you have just created your content strategy for the next however long, because now you know what information your people are looking for. And so we can now write those blog posts and articles that answer those questions 
and then we can get it out there. Sounds good. Yeah, so I want to just kind of give this to us in chunks because obviously I know you guys from working with you for a long time and you're very busy. And so I find what works best if we kind of take it a couple of pieces at a time, getting you going. Uh, I know you just did the email on the estate planning and that's awesome. So creating those email sequences and nurturing our current clients and past clients and referral sources and then making the list of blog posts that we know we want to write and then setting aside some time to start writing them because that's also where people get stuck. I like the idea of kind of doing a brain dump and just thinking about the most common questions that that clients ask you as being kind of a source for for topics because if you just sit down one day and think of you know I got to write on something well what I write on it's it's kind of difficult to pinpoint exactly yeah no I get it like yeah so that's why I like this because then it maps it out Um, and then the other tip I give folks because also I know how lawyers are and because I'm you know I struggle with this too when you just sit down to a blank page and you think to yourself oh man now what am I going to say so two quick tips I have Get out your phone and just hit record and just dictate it. I mean, if you want, even go on a walk around the block or something. And because a lot of it's probably how you answer that question. You probably already answer all of those questions all day long, right? Because people are always calling you asking those questions. And you probably have a standard answer that you give by now. So if you just dictate it, um, there's really easy transcription services online or some phones even have them built in now. I like for this kind of thing, I use a service called Timmy, T-E-M-I.com, because it's real. It's computer translated, I guess is the right word, but it's like 10 cents a minute. So it makes it super reasonable. And then you'll get your words back in a written document and you'll have a draft. And I find most attorneys, when you have a draft, we're all great at editing and now we can go in and kind of spruce it up and make it where we want it. But it's that initial coming to a blank page that gets people stuck. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I actually have a Dragon Dictate on oh, my, my phone. So, yeah, and I'm, I've been trying to start uh, this year getting a little more exercise in, in the morning. So this might be uh, uh, an opportunity to do a little bit of kill two birds with one stone. Yeah, I love that. On um, the way to Tim Hortons in the morning. <laughs> yeah. For coffee, not for donuts. Okay. <laughs> I haven't had Tim Hortons yet. Um but I know what it is now from all my Canadian friends in lab. <laughs> so I keep waiting. Like your Dunkin' Donuts down there. Exactly. Well, I live in the South, so we have Krispy Kreme, which when you come to LabCon, I'll, I'll get it's one for you. It's a coronary in a box. Exactly. It's so delicious, though. Oh. Um, the original, the very first Krispy Kreme is right down the street from where we're going to be for LabCon. All right. So you've got your first couple of steps and... Does this feel like enough to tackle today? Do we need to do anything else or do you feel like this you... is a good start? So this, this gives me an idea. So I, what I want to do is, uh, is, is come back to you at our next coaching session and just have a list of topics or questions that, that I've, I've thought of. And um, I'm going to put my clerk on kind of going through our, our list of clients and I'll identify for her, those clients who would have, employment needs and look at putting together a database um, where I can send out an email blast to those clients uh, once I've got the articles written. And maybe we can talk next time about kind of tempo and and that sort of thing for for these touches. Yeah, love that. So when is a good day? Because you know, I love attorneys love deadlines. 
What's a good time for you to make that list? How how long do you want to give yourself to make that happen? Let me just take a look at my uh, my calendar. I'm going to Florida on the 19th, so you'll get a little reprieve then from your. Maybe what we'll try to do is um, get that done for Monday the 17th. Okay. And uh, we, we can book something something there to have a chat before I go away. Yep, that sounds great. Great. All right, we have a plan. I look forward to it. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.